Welcome to PRN's Progressive Radio News Hour. I'm Steve Lenman. My guest is John McMurtry. We'll talk a lot about uh, today uh, the Charlie Hebdo incident. Still a lot of fallout, a considerable amount of fallout after that incident some days ago. Also, update what's going on in Ukraine. The violence never ends. It revved up very heavily over the last weekend, and uh, we see uh, the Ukrainian military murdering civilians in what I call Donbass, the Donbass area, mainly uh, Donetsk and the Lugansk areas. It includes more than than those areas as well. Uh, Charlie Hebdo, I called it in an article a false flag. I truly believe it is. I said it it reflects less about terrorism and more about false flag deception. We've seen these kind of stunts over and over again. There were so many tips to indicate that something wasn't kosher, like one of the perpetrators, one of the Karachi brothers, one of the perpetrators of the, of the Charlie Hebdo uh, uh, killings, just happening to know that there was an editorial meeting taking place on the day that they came in. Somebody, the building supposedly was heavily protected, God's on the inside, supposed to be God's on the outside, because of past threats. Uh, somebody inside uh, opened a bolted door and let these two brothers in, not having any idea who they were, apparently, well, maybe they did to let them come in to commit their mischief. And then one of the Karachi brothers leaving his identity card. I don't know if it was an ID or a driver's license or what it was, but it was an identity card identifying him in a so-called abandoned car that they used. If if somebody doesn't smell a rat with all of that... They're listening to Fox News that's the, and the BBC <laughs> and CNN and the rest of them. That's the only explanation. Very briefly on Ukraine. There were two agreements. There was an agreement last April called a Geneva Agreement, a four-party agreement, uh, basically uh, uh, saying the same thing that a September agreement, a Minsk protocol with a memorandum of understanding following about two weeks after the uh, original protocol, one on the 5th of September, the second on the 19th of September. Why I remember those dates, I'm not sure, but I do. And both of these agreements call for a cessation of hostilities, withdrawing from the front line, withdrawing heavy weapons, stopping the fighting and negotiating for a real peace. In April, Kiev violated the agreement straight away. In September, it did exactly the same thing. Fighting abated a little bit, but exploded over the past weekend with with massive shelling, including civilian areas, killing civilian men, women, and children. There was an incident with a bus uh, that definitely was a Ukraine incident. And the OSCE, John, surprisingly, uh, Kiev, of course, uh, accused uh, the Donetsk people of, of, of shelling a bus and killing 15 civilians on it. The OSCE monitors said the shells, apparently mortar shells, came from Kiev military-held territory. Obviously, they were responsible. And an incident this morning, within the past hour or two or so, I may write something about it before the end of the day, there was an incident in downtown Donetsk. A uh, trolley bus was a mortar attack, apparently, with up to maybe 15 people killed. I haven't seen the full uh, uh 
uh, information on what's going on. But it was another incident, obviously, Ukraine military targeting civilians in, in a uh, location uh, controlled by the people I call freedom fighters because that's exactly who they are. They refuse to live under a fascist government, and they have only one real demand. They want real democracy, not fascist dictatorship. John, I'll let you jump in. Well, I'll start with the one where the most blood is being shed, as, as you have said, uh, mass murder in Europe since mass murders, continual mass murders in Europe uh, for the first time since the, uh, since the Nazis. And um, it just has, it, but we, we really could have expected it because it, was, it started as a spectacularly violent neo-Nazi coup. Of course, they never recognized that in the Western opinion-making press, Never, uh, never really bring that into consideration at all. But that's where it started, and if that's where it started, and they were orchestrated by the U.S. and the Assistant Secretary of State, uh, Victoria Newland. If if that's the way it started, and who it overthrew? Yeah, there was a it was a corrupt oligarch at the head of the of the Party of Regions. But right away we know when they go after the Party of Regions, most of all, what the Party of Regions is is a federalist party, and it, it had the most support of the most uh, people in Ukraine until the coup d'état. And that's really what it's it's really to kill federalism to to annihilate federalism. Why? Because we're going to take it. We're going to take the whole of Ukraine. They planned back. Willie Wimmer, German uh, uh, foreign minister at the time, uh, has reported that they he was showed uh, no with Americans present in NATO. He was shown a map where they already had in 2002. They already had Germany. I'm sorry, Ukraine divided into two parts, east and west. They had they've had had this in mind for over a decade, and we're just seeing a plan. And everything you mentioned is just another dot on a vast plan that will annihilate the federal, any federal option, any minority rights of Russia's speakers, annihilate them and annihilate all opposition to them the way fascists do. John, so when people do resist, that's, that's who they're going to go after. That's who it, so we really have, in fact, a reversal of history back to the to the Nazi uh, period because these are all uh, neo well they're not all but they're led on the on the ground militarily and and in a police state form they're led on the ground by uh, neo Nazis who are quite explicit about uh, you know their association with the Nazis and their support of the Nazi party when it sided with the Nazi against the Nazis against their own people back in the 40s those people are heroes the people who did deciding. So I think here what you're talking about is not only reversal of history, but it's also determining the possibly, the, when I would say more than anything else going on right now, the future history of the world is is really at stake here. And they want to go not only through, you know, uh, through Ukraine back in 2002, you know, not just through Ukraine and take the East. And what, but before they can take the East, they have to eliminate all the people there. We're going, we're going into a vast clearance operation. 
a uh, ethnic cleansing, if you I hate that term, but a genocidal operation that's just going to clear the eastern uh, part of Ukraine. They've already got a, a million people on the run. The thing that, in all your great work on this, the thing that may not be emphasized enough is the mass starvation technique. So along with the military shelling, continuous, and of civilian areas and civilian infrastructures, you also have uh, you also have a mass starvation going. This is this is this has caused the biggest more people fleeing their own homes than are are sent fleeing by ISIL. There's over a million people that have been driven out of their homes. Not only by the shelling, and the, of course the you know the special uh, death squads and the rest of it that are going on there terrorizing the people, and of course always projecting the terror onto Russia. That's how you do it. Just to project. I always blame the victim for what you're doing. Them as a reason for doing it, and that that sustains the whole thing. The media just fall into this process, and so what we have really is a Nazi-like operation, not only from the coup, but in the land clearance, the ethno cleansing, the bombing of civilian infrastructures, and the lies, the nonstop lies. And if you pointed out that about the peace agreements, they will go for peace only. Peace is only an opening for a war of movement into the space that the peace allows. Now, they, the thing is, because it is a corrupt and, and Nazi-led uh, movement, it doesn't have the popular support that originally led to the demonstrations in, in the square that uh, uh, ended up being taken over by the Nazis in a violent coup. It doesn't have the support of people. These people are conscripts in a war they never really intended. Nobody really intended. It's all been orchestrated. And so they're not a very fit crew. Uh, it's an evil cause. And uh, it's just a matter of how you're going to equip them. And so the peace movements have just been basically pauses for time for the military buildup and also watching because the power behind the power is not just the bombs that are falling and all the special instruments of war that they're introducing there, uh, you know, uh, that are on the, all, all across Russia's borders and so forth, because Russia, taking Russia is the ultimate aim. Uh, they're just... They're just waiting to see also how Western public opinion, which is the real power here, it really is a power in the age of the Internet and the age of information. That It's what the public believes is going on will ultimately decide. So we have a waiting period, an experimental period. They're just seeing how far they can push it. They have a law on, uh, on the, the shelves right now for slave labor. Take anybody in the East and turn them into a slave labor, you know, forced labor, uh, just the way with a military conscript who, who doesn't agree with the cause. But if you don't agree with the cause, it's a criminal offense. It's a criminal offense to not agree with their cause, uh, which is anti-Russian and to take back Crimea and the rest of it. And so uh, they... Why haven't they did this in September? They had a, a rule, a, a regulation, special regulation making that they can take any able-bodied person out of their home, out of their work, and turn them into not a military. That will done, be done by uh, conscription and press ganging. Uh, just turn them into slaves to assist them in what they do because they want that territory. That territory is the richest, as I've said from the beginning. This is the richest farmland in Europe. It's one of the richest farmlands in the whole world. 
and it's vast. It's huge. Like you know, I mean, I've crossed the Ukraine. It's a vast country. Uh, it's the biggest country in Europe, and um, they wanted to, they want to clear that and then go in, of course, with the the whole globalization juggernaut and turn everything into GMOs. In fact, there's already a struggle now going on over GMOs and you know uh, factory farming, industrial agriculture. But that's just you know a small part of the whole agenda here, which is to take everything. The official story always says. Russia's to blame. Putin's to blame. So every time we hear about Ukraine, we get Putin bashing. The two minutes hate on Putin. That's all we get. We never get what's actually going on on the ground. And what's going on on the ground is blood, horror, mass murder. You've described it very, very well in your articles and here just now in your introduction. And this is really the most... Maybe the most hideous thing we've seen in decades uh, that's going on, and it's in the heart of Europe, mass murder in the heart of Europe, uh, to again quote you, and we we have this going on, and we have no official recognition of it. And even the people on the left are afraid to... Like I've written an article recently for the most progressive uh, think tank in, in uh, Canada uh, on Ukraine, and it, you know... You can hardly blame them because they're taking away charitable status and everything away from everybody here in Canada now if they take any political opinion or take any political stance on anything. So it ends up they even censor, even the the left ends up or the progressive side ends up censoring themselves and not afraid to say what's going on or just not believing. If you tell people, they just, it doesn't fit. It's a cognitive dissonance with what they read in the paper. What they read in the paper, oh, is Putin is bullying, uh, Russia's the aggressor, we've got to stop it. Hillary Clinton's saying it's like the Nazis of the Second World War. I mean, just unbelievable big lies nonstop and meanwhile what is never taken into account by these strategic plans that have been going for over a decade is that hundreds of thousands of people are losing their lives and livelihoods and their whole whole country is being uh, genocided that is the Russian speaking people mainly the Russian speaking people in Ukraine we have a very very evil systematic throwback to the Nazis going on in Ukraine today and it's over very big stakes indeed every stake strategic and uh, economic is involved here John everything goes back to Washington U.S. Uh, Assistant Secretary of State for European and Eurasian Affairs, Victoria Newland, publicly admitted months ago that Washington, over the past 20 years, spent around $5 billion applauding the overthrow yeah. of the Ukraine government to install a pro-U.S., uh, pro-Western one. And uh, it, it happened in, in 2004, the, the first Orange Revolution. It didn't yeah. work. The second one was February 22nd last year. 
again, eliminating a democratic government, installing uh, an illegitimate, putschist, fascist government replacing it. And I believe all the war plans going on now, all of the fighting going on, John, is, is, is planned and implemented out of Washington. Uh, Russia's uh, UN envoy, Vitaly Cherkin, yesterday made a comment that every time high-level U.S. officials show up in Kiev, uh, horrors follow. Yeah. And he gave examples of, uh, of the fighting that breaks out, including the eruption of, of uh, full-scale war uh, this past weekend against the Ukrainian people. Uh, a, a, a U.S. general uh, was, uh, was in Kiev uh, just uh, prior to that happening. But, but this stuff, and one more important thing, John, Ukraine, to me, is the pretext. The target is Russia, and the objective is regime change. That's the real issue. America wants its two main rivals eliminated, Russia and China, with pro-Western governments replacing the independent ones, and going after countries like Ukraine and others in Eastern Europe and getting them into NATO. These are stepping stones toward isolating Russia and, in the end, hopefully achieving regime change without a war. Very ugly situation. Well, yeah, we have already a got a war. Already got a war, oh, uh, and uh, you know what was interesting. You were saying all the way to China, and certainly through Central Asia and Russia. You know, is it, most of Russia is Asia, uh, and that's and, and before it was in the pocket. That's what's that's what they resent so much. I mean, it is a corporate globalization uh, operation that is totalitarian in its nature and its reach, and it just keeps on going and going in the way it does and over roles everybody what it leaves in its wake is just destruction everywhere it doesn't matter whether it's libya or ukraine or iraq or wherever they go they just leave they destroy it and people say see it didn't work see it didn't work it did work because this is a cancerous system it just it just wants to have a feeding cycle on what's left over after it destroys all social organization around it and all possibility of resistance to it so the once they've dismantled the social immune system of any society once they've destroyed its social infrastructure which is they go after that first of all uh, as well as the residential housing all war criminal by the way and uh, they leave uh, nothing but a ruin behind but the ruin still has the good, well, it will have mostly good earth after they, you know, they want to clear the land, but they're not going to get away with this. this you know, it's coming down to a fight, and you have one side that is by, has beaten back the Nazis. And, uh, in fact, in the very same place it's going now, as you know, the Donetsk and Donbass region, we're right at the heart of things in the Nazi effort to destroy Ukraine in 1943. Uh, they, uh, the resistance is the same. It's the same people who resisted then that are resisting now and the next generations down. And uh, so they've got a real war on their hands. But... Everybody wants to avoid war, and so they everybody talks peace. I mean, I'm talking about the West and NATO and so forth. That just gives them the resting period, test public opinion with whether they're going to get away with it or not. Like the slave labor, I think that came up, you know, the regulation for that. It started to sneak out here and there, and uh, so they, uh, they have to do something about that. They better not do that yet. Just wait until we have to do that. Uh, they've got all of it laid out, as you say, it's 
all, you know, it's just rolling out this strategic plan with strategic options at every move. And the biggest thing of all, the biggest operation of all is reverse projection. Project onto the designated enemy, in this case Putin and Russia, and the Donbass people. Just lump them all together as the enemy, the terrorists, and project onto them everything you're doing yourself as the reason for attacking them. That operation just haunts me. That way they keep getting away with that everywhere they do that. And you can almost tell what they're going to do, you know, what they're going to do next is by what they're blaming the enemy for doing, is what they're doing themselves. It's almost like, is it a subconscious tip-off? But never, ever do they blame the enemy for anything they aren't doing themselves much worse. But since people feel disquieted, they don't want another war. Most people don't want another war. Most people know very little or nothing at all. They are kept ignorant by the press. And so these things can just roll on. As long as you've got a two-minute hate button that you can push and people keep responding to it, like Saddam or Putin or uh, Gaddafi, or, you know, as long as you can push that two-minute hate button and people keep rising to it no matter what you do, then they know they've got the world on a roll where this system can continue to lay waste everything it touches. It's already laid waste Southern Europe. Right inside Europe itself, inside its own place, it's laid waste. It's laid waste to the whole, basically, the whole working class of the United States. It has nothing but destruction. It's not an imperialism that ever builds anything better uh, than was before, which used to be the justification for British imperialism. It is, you know, it's a carcinomic system. It's just constructed that way, and you're right that the plans—it's all rolling out plans, and they all have, you know, they have a, they have strategic options in front of them, and they they love Victoria Newland uh, uh, because she has done well on the ground in the sense here suddenly the strategic—we've got a peaceful movement. It's not uh, really, uh, you know, we need a change of government, but most of the people who are protesting in the square against the pre- the usual, it's, you know, always been uh, corrupt at the top in uh, Ukraine, uh, the usual people aren't going to go for a violent overthrow. And moreover, uh, all the shooting that's going on of the people in the square, which they're all blaming on this uh, party of regions and uh, the, the disgraced president, uh, which is all false, that's going to come out. It's already come out. And, uh, you know, Estonia's uh, foreign minister has disclosed that uh, that they have a line on uh, that all being planned, those killings before the coup, just almost 11 months ago. Uh, and that's going to come out, so we've got to act now. And if the European Union comes along with a peace plan, which they did, uh, fuck the EU is exactly what uh, Victoria Newland said, because we've got a plan. Our options now require us to move now, to have a vote, because we've got these... We've got these uh, vile uh, Nazis uh, in our pocket who are just, you know, just 
tell them to keep quiet on their anti-Semitism, but they will make mincemeat of anything around, you know, because they're just built as Nazis. That's what they believe in. Uh, and we've got to act now. So that was a strategic option, the coup. It worked very well. Then she got her junior banker, who's a ghoul. I don't know whether you've ever, well, you should see him wandering around. Have you ever seen a video of him operating in Parliament? He's just like, he's like a cartoon. It's like something out of a film to watch this really evil-looking ghoul sort of striding around as if he's king of the block. And, of course, he is, and they go along with him because they know he's America's boy. He's a pure, pure puppet. And so they're very admiring of the way she's managed to pull this thing off because she's the operator right on the ground there. And each strategic option, you know, they, well, one could go on and on, but they try this, they try that, it doesn't work, it does work. And they just, and the one that's, you know, that you have emphasized is peace agreements. Well, because they're much, you know, they're, they're not really very capable. They're a corrupt bunch. They're not really very capable. So we've got to have peace to give us the opening for war and war preparations and as you know all the all the weapons are going in there and all the advisors are going in there and it's all been to stop pushing uh, Putin and his aggression and his, his imperialism and so we go. It's a circle until the Western public or world public opinion wakes up. It will only get worse. That's why I regard your work is so important, and mine, insofar as I'm able to do it, is, is to bring people to wake up to see what's actually going on, because they count on you not seeing. They count on people not responding. They count on people not uh, in forming themselves. They count on the reverse projection operation working decade after war after decade again and again. They count on it. And then as soon as the public opinion gets aroused, and it is being aroused, even China, I don't know whether you notice, China's come out and spoken on it, saying the U.S. is blaming Russia for everything a priori, like before the facts are out. And that this isn't really good, but the problem is anybody who crosses the United States is going to find themselves in a lot of problems. You know, they put it quite subtly, but they have come out uh, publicly on the side of uh, on the side of saying the U.S. is blaming Russia for what they don't have evidence for, and of course that's true of everything they do. Every single statement and justification they give is a lie. Finally, China. Now, China is very important. If it wakes up to it, then that means you can't go through the Security Council. Well, you can't go through the Security Council anyway because Russia's in there. But, you, you know, that is so important to world public opinion. If things can shift then that's the only thing that'll stop them. It won't be the, the, the warriors on the ground, the people who are only risking their lives on the ground, and they are. Uh, they, they are necessary, but they're not going to be the decisive factor. They will, they will block them as they have blocked them uh, until they get bigger and more weapons and more killing and mess. And then whether they're able to pull that off and still have acceptability in the public's eye, that will decide. So it's our, as history always is, it's always got 
different possibilities because you're dealing with human beings and human organizations that are in flux and change. You have different possibilities, and that's why the uh, uh, it's so important for us, for example, to talk and understand this and anybody who uh, uh, listens to to follow what is really going on because once the public opinion turns, that's the only reason they haven't introduced slave labor. That's the only reason they haven't just gone in with their helicopters and started bombing the hell out of uh, Donbass uh, uh, U.S. style. It's because they know public opinion won't stand for it. It's against international law. NATO has no right to be in there. That's what they want, of course, strategically. Uh, and uh, again and again, what these things depend upon. You know, in Vietnam, they could just do it. You can't. You just can't do. And Iraq, they just did it. But there's a. That's behind everything. That's behind everything. That Iraq War. That's behind. That's behind Charlie Hebdo, as you know. Uh, I mean, these the ISIL is just people that are disbanded out of the uh, Iraqi army after they destroyed that country for no reason at all. Uh, that's these things blow back, and the blowback is going on everywhere, and. Uh, the blowback will be so important. The problem is you just keep blaming anybody who resists it, keep calling them terrorists, keep building up to kill the terrorists. People keep going along with it. There's always a terrorist incident. I don't know much about the Parisian thing in terms of it being a constructed incident, but it certainly was a military operation. It was certainly centrally planned. It certainly had all the pieces in place, as you were, uh, as you were describing earlier, in the program, it's another thing like ISIL itself, a construction, a construction of this uh, carcinomic empire, uh, a construction of it to allow it to go on killing and destroying and conquering and seizing and devastating. Uh, it's uh, and it's just when when do we have enough of a, uh, a threshold of opinion that is built up that says. Hey, we've seen this movie before. No, no, you can't do that now. People just people just wake up, and we have a slow process. Hopefully, but I'll tell you, in my own country, Canada, which is known as a peaceful country, the stupidity, the constructed stupidity, and the opportunism of people. I mean, even our so-called progressive uh, left-wing party called the NDP, they've just been complete cowards on uh, Iraq. They've just, I'm sorry, on Ukraine. Uh, of course, the same forces are behind both, you know, and they're, they're never really mentioned as the sides that are uh, at odds with one another. He has just repeated word for word the U.S. line. I mean, it's just, it almost makes you want to throw up. It's so bad. And that's in Canada, a reasonable, you know, known, known to be a peaceful country, a, a, a rather reasonable country. And so you despair in a way of how long, how much this can just keep on going around in the same circle, the same movie, just change the names, and you've got the same operation going on. Well, indeed we do, John, and it never ends. There hasn't been a day of peace in the entire 14 years of Bush Obama, and with two years left Bush to go Obama. in Obama's ten, Bush, Bush Obama, really alter egos operating the same, with same policies, <clears throat> same thing, seamlessly well, passing the Well, they're both actually, 
front men. I mean, and, oh know. yeah, they're front men, absolutely. I mean, the embedded power structure makes all the decisions. The moneyed interests, yeah, I like to call them, and you write the about them all the power time. Structure, yeah. Absolutely, they're calling the shots, and of course, there's big money to be made by waging these wars. But you, 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 you've got a, an indifferent, asleep public not doing anything about it. When when polls are taken, it shows that the great majority of Americans are sick and tired of the wars and want them ended, especially Afghanistan. The anti, the feeling against Afghanistan, I guess, including uh, America staying involved there with 10,000 or more troops, uh, is is a greater negative percentage than than at the highest point during the Vietnam. Now more, but then we had protests, and today we have nothing. Well, yeah, because what they do on the protest is the two things they didn't do in Vietnam. They 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 lock out in Vietnam. They had pictures of what was going on allowed oh, out. Indeed. They have censored all the pictures of consequences. That's the key. They if you cannot see the consequences of what they're doing then you're not going to complain about it. And that is a whole new operation embedding all the press inside the side, the U.S. operations side, uh, and not allowing any picture out there that doesn't, uh, it isn't propagandist. Uh, that's one big change. Another big change is when they do demonstrate still, even though you've got no recognition, no allowance, everything's been censored, militarily censored, so we don't get any the realities coming out that we used to of people shooting people's heads off and babies crying from the uh, napalm and so forth. They just don't allow those pictures, type of pictures out, which well, in Ukraine, if you allow those pictures out, people would catch on in a hurry. Forbidden. Uh, the other thing is forbidden now in the so-called free press is to even report demonstrations against it because people are smart enough with uh, the Internet, which has been a great uh, asset in, in, in that regard, that it allows information through that otherwise would never get through the corporate press. It allows information through enough people wake up to demonstrate. Uh, they just don't report the demonstration. They just, it didn't happen. So we have a constructed reality now, that uh, a virtual reality now, that has all the stops of feedback understanding, all the stops on it. Forbidden. Forbidden to show the images, forbidden to report the, uh, the demonstrations, and if you do, make it that they're violence protesting, violence-threatening protesters, and uh, divide, as I've mentioned before, they always divide by at least four into a fraction of who was there, and then it drops, if they, if they report it at all. And so people just, I think, you know, they, I think that the thing... In the age of information, it moves on to a symbolic level. The acts of war themselves are symbols. And it's at the symbolic level that everybody uh, is, you know, that we're operating now with a, an Internet possibility that everybody has feed-ins uh, to see uh, what they, what's out there. And there's a, a tremendous amount of information, if you know how to look for it, on, on, on the Internet. And uh, that they're, they they know this they know this way doesn't work that it's got to be it's got to be uh, a more sustained thing a demo a demo itself is a symbolic event but it's a one-off symbolic event 
if they refuse to even report the one-off symbolic event, maybe we've got to move to another level. So I don't see it just as a matter of distress that we have basically a body that has been overtaken, and then certainly I think this is true to a certain extent. The body's been taken over by effectively a disease at the social level of life organization. The immune system is succumbing. It's just, it's just collapsing in front of us. That's certainly going on. But on the other hand, you have a movement upwards towards what I call a second-order consciousness. What's going on here? You know, and we have the same with the environment, where the environment's being destroyed, they never reported, etc. But you can't stop that. It still gets out. And, uh, of course, the war and the environment, it's the same, basically the same instruments that are used uh, historically in war and uh, the attack on uh, attacks on nature. And uh, that people are connecting at this other symbolic level. And that's why I keep going back that the world public opinion, well, you know, it's, it's on a symbolic level. Uh, and at that symbolic level is the key thing. And it just comes back to something in a way that we've always uh, known to a certain extent, uh, but is more and more true today, that, if you will, education or understanding, I would put it, understanding uh, understanding uh, rules in the end. Uh, and if you have enough understanding, knowledge, knowledge always wins. And the question is whether that knowledge... Uh, gets out that I think that's virtually an historical law, and uh, if you if you get enough people that know and understand, they they just can't get away with it. I mean, uh, that's where the battle is, and I think the war, the wars, and the and the bombs and everything going on—they're all symbols happening in front of people, real lives, and so forth. Uh, but that, that's why they're doing it. You know, all these so-called terrorist incidents, and, and they are terrorists, and they're constructed as terrorists, and they're there to construct an enemy to justify what you're doing. You have to have that happen. Uh, and probably Charlie Hebdo, you have to have an enemy threatening freedom of speech in the West for people to go along with all the terrible things that are going on. Uh, and so they just... Um, they just construct one thing after another, and does it sell? The truth is what sells. That's the question. Does it sell? And so far, this one on Charlie Hibdo, I noticed we've gone past half time, just looking at my, uh, I think, that <laughs> switching to the Charlie Hebdo, how he fits <laughs> in, how it fits into the whole system. It sure fits into it, John. There's no question about it. And it's... But it's brought up a very interesting issue because what you know obviously this is a military uh, this is a military operation uh, and it's a military operation which pits the uh, the terrorist uh, construction uh, U.S. Cons uh, always U.S. constructed. I mean that's the thing that people really just can't get their heads around, and it really is difficult to get their heads around. But you can be sure that behind any terrorist in incident, there's U.S. funding and training and the rest of going on. Just, I mean, for an example, uh, you know, Afghanistan, why we have a war in Afghanistan, since you mentioned Afghanistan, that was the first one after 9-11. Uh, Brzezinski, 
uh, said uh, way back, you know, he, he said the strategy uh, with Afghanistan is to give the Russians a Vietnam War. The Vietnam War bled the U.S., bled it ideologically, bled it in its confidence, bled it financially so that it's never really recovered from it. In fact, the world gold standard collapsed really over the Vietnam War, uh, spending far beyond its means, far beyond uh, any gold basis it had for it. And um, so we're let's let's do the same thing that happened to us to Russia. And then we organized all those terrorist groups and financed, including Osama bin Laden, who was introduced by a wealthy uh, Saudi Arabian in government uh, uh, to the uh, to the CIA, and uh, he became a, a, a major asset in forming uh, what it used to be was just uh, you know religious religious uh, fanaticism, and there was lots of original uh, fanaticism in the Muslim world, um, but it wasn't dominant, it wasn't really uh, normalized, uh, and it didn't have weapons, so you fill it full of weapons, and you fill it full of war strategies and the instruments to conduct it, and so then you have a Vietnam War, and that in, in Afghanistan, that was all constructed. Well, if they did it there, they constructed the Afghanistan war itself against Russia, admitted they constructed it, and did it right from, you know, every step of it, including Osama bin Laden, and all that's on the record, all that's undeniable. Why wouldn't this military operation itself, which is of immense value to Europe, a faltering Europe that has a corrupt system, uh, you know, and it all goes back to the, you know, the uh, ultimately a financial cancer that's taken hold of the whole body politic and social organization of the of uh, the biggest economy in the world uh we we've got to have a shot in the arm uh to make this system uh, appear you know as as free and so you have this centrally planned uh, military operation that seems to have inside information on everything and it does what that'll get the people going and uh, then you have everybody, I mean, just to see the line of heads of state that were there, uh, you know, I am I am Charlie Hebdo. I mean, it, it was, to me, it's just like comical in a tragic black humor way. They're all lined up and right at the center, they're all linked arms, all these heads of state, right at the center is Netanyahu, you know, it's just perfect for him. I mean, they may have, it may be, you know, they did a, as they often do, Mossad did a, a sort of, uh, you know, uh, a job uh, that needed to be done uh, from the center, but, uh, you know, they'll they'll outsource to uh, the Mossad uh, operating covertly. Who knows? Uh, they certainly would know enough to, to be able to manage that. But however it was done, and it did, it just got everybody. And what was it over. It was over basically. I mean, it. it I mean, and, and we're going to get into some interesting things in a way. Uh, Charlie Hebdo, to me, he's our. You remember Archie Bunker? 
And you remember Alf Garnet, that was the British version of it, where you allow, you have on stage as a, as a comedy, you have right-wing opinions of the most vile sort being uh, constantly uh, propounded uh, in a situation comedy. And the same in art, well, Alf Garnet. All sorts of things you couldn't say about race and about uh, commies or whatever. Uh, all this scatological insults to anything that opposes the system were allowed into the mouths of right-wing characters. And I think the thing that what Charlie Hebdo is different about Charlie Hebdo is it comes from the left. But it's much the same kind of humor. I mean, um, I know you've, you've said, well, you think it's, it's over the top or it's, you know, just beyond any limits. What Charlie Hebdo, that magazine, uh, satirical magazine showed, well, it did it. It's done it for Christianity. It's made fun of, and it's, it's done it for Judaism. I mean, uh, what was it? Uh, um, the Untouchables. That was, I don't know whether you saw that cartoon. And it's obviously, uh, Judaic dressed people who are just called the Untouchables. Well, that's true. Because anybody who touches them or says a word against them is anti-Semitic. You know, you can just close it down. But here, uh, they didn't, uh, close them down for that. And it was rather innocent, uh, looking because one, one is in a wheelchair. Um, but to me, the, the humor in it was a bit juvenile. Monty Python, uh, you know, makes fun of, like, the life of Brian, making fun of Jesus Christ and God, making big fun of it. I, I think that unless, unless you're advocating a crime, and all sorts of advocacy of crime is going on every day by our corporate press, and our heads of state and uh, foreign ministers every day hate speech and advocacy of crime speech is going on all the time where you advocate what is criminal under law and i remember i uh, you know, i said that and i mentioned this in a, a debate i had just before the iraq war with a guy who uh, led the uh, project for a new american century uh, and i was demolishing his side of the story basic based on based Basically, uh, uh, law. Um, I, that was my main point about how they were committing the supreme crime and how his advocacy of it itself was a crime. And uh, perhaps he ought to be arrested at the airport for a crime against humanity and a war crime because he's advocating what is a crime under international law and cited it. They just took that part out. Just didn't. You know, it was a 30-minute delay, and that part just got lifted out of the program. They don't want that to, to ever come up. Uh, so I say, well, if you're going to control so-called freedom of speech, because it's such a laugh, there's no freedom of speech at all, you'll never get anything in the corporate press that contradicts this party line, the official story, on anything. Uh, so there's no free speech in the, uh, on that level. But if you're going to uh, make a law against certain types of speech, like you remember the Justice Holmes saying that, uh, you know, it's illegal, and everybody knows it's illegal to shout cry, uh, fire in a crowded theater, 
If you're going to do something that is criminal under law, and that would be criminal under law, it would begin with public mischief, but that would be, you could find them criminal under law, anybody who did that, uh, and advocacy of a crime. If you just did that, and the and the hate propaganda itself, though a separate designation has been made of it, you know, one-sided. Uh, that it's only when you uh, it's only when you put uh, uh, Israel in a bad light that, they, that hate propaganda is triggered as a as a problem. Um, it, but if you just said advocacy of crime, and or and the real the hate crime would be, and I don't mind a hate crime being in there if it just has what we have, which is if it implies destruction or murder or uh, elimination of or you know some form of violent assault if it urges by implication crime against the por- against the figures pro- portrayed then you're on that's a, that's a criminal offense you're going to be arrested and I don't know, once you got that on, I don't know whether you can, and that's, you know, no, we can't, we can't urge crime, we can't advocate crimes with our freedom of speech, that endangers all our other freedoms. Uh, and just stuck to that consistently, I don't know that we'd have a problem. We'd have Charlie Hebdo, he made fun of all the religions. He may, as I say, he made fun of Christianity. He, he, what he says, too, or he, I keep saying he personifying what's the name of a journal. Uh, one of his cartoons is um, all the religions, all of them, into the dumper. We're all be all better off into the dumper, thinking that religions are just constructs of superstition that uh, mislead people, and as uh, as Marx and Vol- from Voltaire to Marx, uh, the idea of it being an opiate of the people that keeps them submissive. And so it doesn't matter what religion uh, you're talking about, you're going to be open to mockery. Uh, because have you ever seen a Do we have one religion now that doesn't have women subjugated or subordinated? No, none of the mainstream religions that we know don't have women. I mean, Taoism doesn't. It's the opposite, but no one knows about Taoism. All the mainstream religions that are involved in Europe and North America and so forth, including, I might add, even Buddhism, women are second-class citizens in all of them. And so, uh, what's so why should religion be sacred? And by the way, when you worship something as absolute and ultimate, which isn't absolute or ultimate as an idol worship, uh, which uh, the religions, monotheist religions are against, well then why don't you include the market system itself as the most fanatic of all our religions? You know, an invisible hand runs everything. Everything is optimized. Everything turns out for the best of possible worlds. It's got, it's the inner logic of a religion of a very fanatic religion because it allows immense consequences of death and destruction and misery and oppression uh, for the majority of people in the world that's increasing. So uh, don't, don't say religion has a special status here. You've got to keep it open to mockery, and it is everywhere. Religion, not spirituality. I'm not talking about spirituality. I'm talking about an instituted form that has lots of money and has lots of power and dictates. 
the only reason I think for limiting freedom of speech uh, other than urging of crime, and boy, would you get rid of a lot of stuff if you actually took that one seriously. You get rid of a lot of right-wing discourse in the United States uh, because they're, they are implying by what they're saying that the party that they're describing, the human beings they're describing, ought to be eliminated or ought to be dead or we'd be better off with them, uh, without them. And that's why they use words like cockroaches and uh, all sorts of dehumanizing words. Well, that implies that they're not a human and they can be killed. Uh, sorry, uh, that's a crime. That's uh, uh, You are implying a crime, and we'll make it specific. We'll call it a hate crime. Now, um, do the, uh, and I suppose it could, I, I was thinking, what's ignored in all the concern about freedom of speech here with Charlie Hebdo is that they take it out of context. All the people that are insulted by Charlie Hebdo's uh, cartoon of Muhammad, um, they tend to be the poor. They tend to be the underdog class. In fact, you might say they're overwhelmingly the underdog class. And so on the, on the level of civility, on the level of being a civilized person, one not never to accept uh making you know uh, abusing people even through mockery if they're the oppressed uh and that's that's what's completely have you even heard that mentioned anywhere in this whole your instincts go there but we've had no mention whatever of the fact that the people who are being uh, insulted by uh by these cartoons of Muhammad inside France are uh, are poor and oppressed people, and all pretty well all they've got is religion to make life bearable. That's that's a far different thing than if you allowed that cartoon, which I, I can't imagine anything being healthier for Arab civilization than to allow those cartoons inside that Arab civilization, because now the sacred is the biggest bludgeon they've got for if you even say one word out of line because the sacred includes everything we proclaim and prescribe as the sacred you say one word out of line with that and you're on for a thousand lashes uh, being torn apart uh, then uh, that's a place where you ought to allow a lot of allow a lot of mockery of Muhammad in order to get people's heads on so they have a what I would call a life coherent understanding of the situation actually take life itself and its requirements and needs and uh, fulfillment that's that's the only thing that's sacred here but I don't see anybody even mentioning that and that would be the reason why you would protect the oppressed but at the level of law and enforcement of law it should be advocacy of a crime is what you can't do uh, and it's not free speech because it's not consistent with human rights or the constitution or other laws you can't do it and uh, that's that's pretty uh, that's pretty straightforward. And if you imply the uh, the annihilation of uh, another party that you're portraying, that's uh, a specific criminal offense uh, that we already have now on the books, uh, more or less widely. Uh, that's a criminal offense of hate propaganda. But the problem is the hate speech 
has not been restricted to that. Hate speech now comes anything that disagrees with the official story of Judaism, of what happened in the Second World War, is hate speech. Now, you might say, well, all of the millions of people who are horribly victimized by this, one of the major crimes of history, not the only, because the Jews started genocide in the, uh, in the Old Testament. It's just full of invitations of eco-genocide, destroy them all, leave nobody, kill the women and children, and so forth. Uh, it may be that uh, to deny that there was such a thing going on uh, in the 1940s, in late 30s in Germany, uh, that may be a way of saying they're just as well off dead or people are, but it's a pretty hard stretch. We don't have hate propaganda being anything but a special interest protection. It just protects special interests. We never have a problem with, like, uh, wouldn't it be good if we had uh, Israel uh, subjected to not propaganda that are uh, hate propaganda, but perhaps that people feel you're vile and odious because of the policies you do. That would be that would be classified as an offense, as a hate propaganda now, certainly by them, as anti-Semitic, and uh, so. We need on that level, on the hate propaganda level, uh, we need to make it impartial. All it's now protecting is the stronger. The, the strong, it's protecting the oppressor. And uh, that's what really happened with anti-Semitism and so forth in this age. It protects the oppressor. Well, indeed, John, and it's a very depressing situation. It gives me plenty to write about on a daily basis. But these things going on, you've got the wars abroad. You've got cracking down on civil liberties at home. They're literally a state terror, a reign of terror by European countries against their own citizens in the yeah. wake of the Charlie Hebro killings, uh, you oh. know, on the, on, on the pretext of... of that's security on the one hand, and protecting the rights of, of individual French people, German people, British people, Spanish people, Portuguese people, and literally police state laws are coming on the books. You've got Unbelievable. France. That's what makes, you know, keeps confirming the hypothesis of this being another setup. Uh, you know, another operation that's been run from the uh, covert states of uh, the U.S. and the EU in order to uh, gain a propaganda advantage for world public opinion and justify even more police laws than we have. And nobody pointing out, well, well, I shouldn't say nobody because it is pointed out, but not in the official press. Uh, nobody pointing out that uh, uh, there that the hypocrisy of it is so unbelievable. You, you want to protect, we're here to protect French freedom of speech, uh, including Charlie Hebdo's scatological, perhaps juvenile cartoons. Uh, and what's the, what, how we're going to protect freedom of speech is that if you say anything against our doing that, you're going to go to jail. You know, they just repressed freedom of speech at the very moment they're saying they're protecting it. The hypocrisy, I mean, it, it, your mind almost swoons with it. And it's not described anywhere that you see in the, in the mass media. You just, uh, you just go away with this 
Well, you know, Orwell long ago warned about the contradictions, the thing about, you know, a, a state of uh, basically occupancy of the mind so that you can hold two contradictory propositions in the mind simultaneously without any sense of cognitive dis, uh, dissonance. You know, freedom of speech is good, freedom of speech is bad. Both are true at the same time, and prison exhibits goes to anybody who disagrees. Yeah, that's exactly right, John. Uh, literally, literally crackdowns on dissent while standing up hypocritically for freedom of expression. And, uh, and of course, it, it, it happens in America. It's happening in Europe. I wrote an article about uh, uh, maybe the leading European rabbi uh, saying uh, he wanted legislation passed in, in various countries to let Jews carry guns for their protection. And I was lucky. I spotted a study. There was a, a compilation of 15 other studies showing pretty conclusively that if you proliferate guns among people, you know, let them pack weapons uh, openly so uh, uh, people use them. They use them on the one, uh, to, to some extent to commit suicide, but they use them to kill other people. And the fewer guns there are around, the less violence, and uh, the opposite, the more guns around, the more violence. And I wrote an article uh, on that. And, uh, but, but, but uh, of course, in America, it, it is a gun-owning culture. And now maybe Europe will turn out to be the same way, and it'll only guarantee more violence. No, it won't. It won't. Nothing's like this. Nothing will ever. <laughs> well, maybe uh, some places in Africa, um, but not, you know, it, it's so. You know, outside the United States, it's regarded everywhere. I've traveled all over the world, and just everywhere, and of course, live outside the states and Canada. Uh, everywhere, it's regarded as mad. You know, the argument that you're making is is to sort of, of course, you know, how self-evident can you get? John, the and last what thing is going on in the... Sorry? The last thing I would ever want would be to buy a gun thinking it was going to protect me. I have never had a gun. The only time I ever held a pistol in my hand was when I was a boy growing up. My dad was in World War One. He brought back a souvenir. It was a pistol unloaded. I don't know if it was a U.S. one or a German one or whatever it was, but I remember seeing it. I remember holding it once. Uh, it certainly had no bullets in it. And the only time I ever fired a weapon was when I was in the U.S. Army and then 1950s, and I went through training, and I had to fire the weapons they they gave me to fire. Uh, after that, I, have, I, I the only weapons I've ever seen uh, are on are the sidearms that cops carry on the streets, and I see plenty of that on the streets of Chicago. On the uh, everywhere else, though, this is regarded as madness. The first, the first sort of. That'll be the first thing people, you know, the Amer Americans are really crazy, uh, and that will be the one that you, you point out, and then they, and then they deny that it's a problem. I mean, it's, and I feel the same way about guns as you, Steve. I, I mean, uh, I can't even hold them. Uh, they're just, you know, imagine something that's very, very cunningly built that's going to destroy life. That's its purpose, and. Uh, and and though once I you know as a teenager uh, I was with some people out in the country and and there was a long gun uh, being played with and I noticed what happened to me when I you know I I played with it to target practice and so forth um, what happened to me was was monstrous 
you what you really wanted to shoot something. I mean, it just it's like an extension that it brings upon even stronger. Than this. If there's more guns, there's going to be more killing. If there's more guns, there's going to be more people feeling like using them because they actually invite that feeling when you have them in your hand and have that uh, and have that power. And when I've traveled around the world, which I have just as a backpacker, basically with no defenses whatsoever, one of the things I wondered should I should I have some sort of weapon? Uh, and I just and I just thought through all the situations you go to, that's the worst thing that can happen. If you have a gun, you're, there's going to be violence. There's going to be death. Uh, it just it invites it. it it's a channeling into uh, life destruction, and of course that's what that's what's uh, that's what's happened in the U.S. It's a it's a you know just a demonstrandum est. There is the example of it. People own guns; they use them more and more, and more and more people get killed. And that they hitch into that as a so-called constitutional right. It's not even a constitutional right. It's a constitutional. It's a right to bear arm and militias, uh, which was you know understandable given that they were fighting against uh, Britain for their independence. Uh, but uh, that whole thing has been distorted like everything else, deformed into its opposite. It sells, it sells as the opposite. And uh, so everybody's allowed to be their own, uh, yeah, their own, uh, you know, the heroes, all the heroes. What, you notice what, what happens in all, all American dramas, virtually all of them. It's all about who can kill most. If I remember the numbers right, I wrote about this a couple of times. Uh, in America, annually, on average, 100,000 people are either killed or wounded by guns. If that isn't an indictment of a gun yeah. culture, I don't know what is. Yeah. Well, I think we've reached time, Steve. Yeah, we have. I haven't been clued by my studio, but I think I'm over on time. John, we can continue this next month. Uh, the Ukraine story won't be going away. No, uh, as you always say, yes. you're right. You're right. They're process. always ringing my head, your remarks. The Ukraine story won't go away, John. And uh, that you first said that, I don't know how many, well, a year ago almost. Oh, and, indeed. Uh, and I wrote an yeah. article this morning uh, debunking the notion uh, claimed by uh, Ukrainian uh, Putin's uh, President uh, Poroshenko that 9,000 Russian soldiers are operating in Ukraine. And, of course, uh, they don't show any evidence because no. there is none. If there was evidence, you could be sure they would blanket it over TV screens from satellite yeah. photos of the rest of it. But there is none. And uh, I mentioned this. I'll mention this again very briefly, John. Uh, I picked this up from a, uh, from a, a reliable... Uh, a Russian a website, that Poroshenko is called a drunk. He shows up at 2 or 3 in the afternoon every day. He oh, drinks. he's like Yeltsin. He's like Boris Yeltsin, just like Boris wow. Yeltsin. Uh, he gets angry with people in his office. He throws stuff at them, and by 10 o'clock at night, he's drunk, stays around till about 1 or 2 in the morning, and has to be driven home because he can't do it on his own. The president of Ukraine. Wow. Wow! Wow! Oh, also, he went to the he great diabetes producer. Yeah, he went to Davos for the three-day uh, 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 economic summit. He left 
on the day he arrived. Uh, he was heckled uh, in Zurich when he flew in. He was called a child killer. Apparently what he claimed for, uh, more financial support, he didn't get what he came for, so he left the same day he arrived. That's in my article this morning. I'll follow this and follow up on any new information. Well, that you know, this is new for me. It's not, it doesn't surprise me. Another Yeltsin, and Yeltsin gave away the shop, and he's, of course, giving, that's what you need to give away the shop. Absolutely. Uh, you need an arseniac to uh, squeeze the people with no limit. Like I, he's, I think he's well. He's got a he's he's a sadist. You can you can tell the way he presents his policies and the way he carries himself. He loves extracting from the people what they formerly had as means of life. It gets them off. That's what he's. That's why he was selected. Uh, but and then as the as the chief, you have a drunkard. You have another Yeltsin. Yeltsin gave away the shop as president, and uh, he'll give away the shop with not a with with a, without a whimper, without a. Any protest? Oh, absolutely, John. And, and I, I think I think he's he's a, he's a billionaire. He's a businessman. I think yeah. he's nothing but a front man. You know, he stands up there and he looks like he looks he looks like he could be a president, which he is not. He reads the script that's handed to him. He's Washington's man in Kiev, and I I, th- I think the real hardline neo neo Nazis are the ones who are running things, including this prime minister Yatsenyuk, yeah. Arseny Yatsenyuk, U.S. tool. Yeah. Oh, certainly, John. You heard this story on, on German TV. Some days ago, he claimed that Soviet Russia invaded Germany and Ukraine in World War II, and, and the comment passed without comment, without a retort from the German wow. media, and Russia, of course, wants an explanation and an apology. Imagine claiming the Soviet Union invaded Germany, which is exactly well, the opposite of what happened. doesn't that give you a sense of the Nazi mindset? The Nazi mindset, wow. indeed. Indeed. Wow. Of course, the U.S. media said nothing about this. This is the kind of guy who's leading Ukraine, plus these vicious neo-Nazis, the killers running death squad operations. And Russia has now uh, filed charges against 65 Ukrainians for war crimes, atrocities, and so on. And a lot of high-level people were named. Poroshenko wasn't one of them so far, but a lot of other people, including the right sector head, the interior minister. Uh, I don't think Yatsenyuk was named. But it could be there'll be more named, too. And, and, and official charges have been filed against these people. At least two of them are in Russia. They'll go on trial. The others are in Ukraine. But Russia has laid down a marker that these people are criminals. They need to be held responsible for their crimes. Maybe the worm will turn at some point, John. And, uh, and uh, even AP, AP and um, one other Western news service uh, accused Kiev of killing civilians in Donbass. Very brief accounts, very brief reports. Well, that's nice out. to hear that finally uh, something possibly true get. I mean, something true possibly gets out. Amazing, John. Maybe it'll mean more stuff will get out. There's no question who's responsible for what's going on. It's not the it's, it's not the people in Donbass. It's it's the Kiev government that launched premeditated aggression, complicit with Washington, last April, and it hasn't let up since. Abated no. a little bit after the, after the September Minsk Protocol, but now it's going full bore, full scale war, well, premeditated yes, yes. aggression. Yeah. As, as soon as they're able to, to carry it off, they do. And then they also watch, because they're cunning, understanding that the world opinion is the, is the real force. Uh, if world opinion turns against them on any move they make, 
then they'll climb back. I mean, have you noticed, for just an example, you remember NATO, the, the head of NATO, uh, Rasmussen, yeah. who just was a, such a warmonger, he wanted, I could hardly believe he just went on and on abusing and lying about Russia, never stopped. Then Rasmussen uh, is gone, and you don't hear, as you shouldn't, from the NATO commander, who just decided he'd, he'd be the main political commentator, that Rasmussen, you don't hear that anymore, because it's got through to people like, what, this guy is a warmonger, what right is he? He's, he's overriding uh, legislative uh, validity. He's overriding who's actually the member of government. He's trying to make policy on the fly. You know, those are the things that started to come back. It's not working, guys. It's not working. We better shift to another gear. Well, and well, as well, the well, same, well, I think this happened with the slave labor. It's not going to work. People are going to, you know, once they get it out, you know all that can embarrass us. You know all that, you know. And so uh, they're moving, and that's why it's so very important that, uh, that uh, you know, that we keep coming out with the facts of the matter uh, because uh, the, that, that'll decide whether the people understand the facts of the matter. That will de- decide how far they push this uh, continuum. Continue. Mass murdering in Europe, as you Absolutely, call it. Absolutely, John. I think I just yeah. got the clue, the clue from my studio that I'm over on time. So yeah. I'll wrap up, but we will continue this next month. And again, we've said it before, it's not going away. It could. Yeah. Be, I, I, I expect it to be worse next month than now, John. But we will pick this up and continue the story. John, Great. thank you so much. My pleasure, Steve. Thank you.